Hello everybody, this is our ninth sermon looking at the book of Acts. And this week we're in Acts 17, looking at verses 1 to 15. And here we are finding evidence of another king. The first Baptist church in the UK was set up by a man called Thomas Helwys in 1612. Helwys, along with a congregation of other believers, had spent five years in Amsterdam avoiding religious persecution. But eventually he concluded that they must return home and share what they had developed. So that is what they did. The church was set up in Spitalfields on the edge of London and promoted freedom of religion, baptism of believers and the ability for all Christians to hear and respond to God for themselves as they read his word. On arriving in England, Howes knew what response he would get. King James wanted complete control of the church and was never going to stand for this. Sir Helwes wrote a book explaining and defending Baptist beliefs and rather provocatively sent an addressed copy to the palace. In that book were these words. Our Lord the King is but an earthly king and he has no authority as a king but in earthly causes. For men's religion to God is betwixt God and themselves. The king shall not answer for it. Neither may the king be judge between God and man. Let them be heretics, Turks, Jews or whatsoever. It appertains not to the earthly power to punish them in the least measure. It was an extraordinary statement. The first call for universal religious liberty in this country. And it all rested on one very important belief. There is another king to that of King James. Baptists would obey the ruler of the land as far as it was possible, but ultimately their allegiance was to the king of God's kingdom, King Jesus. In their eyes, King James had no jurisdiction whatsoever when it came to how they related to Christ. Of course, James was always going to see this as a direct threat. Helwes was locked up in Newgate Prison, never to see the light of day again. But sadly for James, his book started something that could never be stopped. Eventually, religious liberty did come to this land, and all forms of free church that will be meeting to worship today are the beneficiaries of it. In our reading today, we find the exact same statement that Helwes made being declared in first century Thessalonica. And unfortunately, we see the exact same response. Let us hear parts of verses 6 and 7 again. The city officials were shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Just in case we were in any doubt, these verses make it clear that Christianity is not just a religious experience. 
It is not about developing warm, fuzzy emotions. It is nothing short of the announcement to the world that its true king has come and that he is in the process of setting the whole world right. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth was the king of the Jews, but his death and resurrection fulfill the covenants of Israel in such a way that he opens them up for people of all nations to enter. Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is not a king of this world, but he is the king for this world. Therefore, he is the king who puts all other rulers and powers in their rightful place as temporary and secondary to the Lord. Of course, announcing these things into the world is always going to create a reaction. Rulers tend not to like seeing their authority brought into question. It's likely to cause trouble and persecution. And it is telling to see how the way Helwes was treated in the 17th century was exactly the same as the way Paul, Silas and Jason were treated in the first. There are beatings, imprisonment and turmoil as the crowd tried to protect the status quo and stop an angry Caesar storming into town. It doesn't matter what century we live in. To declare Jesus as Lord is to make a very bold and very political statement. We are announcing a new king, one we will obey above and beyond the powers of the day. We need to be prepared for the backlash. Like Paul and Silas, we need to be ready to serve Jesus, whatever may come our way. Recently, I have started following the build-up to the American presidential election. A few weeks ago, they had the Democrat and Republican conferences where the parties set out their policies to the electorate. In America, these are great set-piece events with long, dramatic speeches from the nominated candidates. Both President Trump and Joe Biden made great claims about their ability and counterclaims about their opponent. In the days following the conferences, the BBC set about analysing all these claims to see how realistic they were. There is a whole fact-checking page to the website to try and filter out all the spin and fake news from the truth. It is a damning critique of modern-day politics that none of us can instantly believe what we are told anymore. We all must examine the evidence and sometimes the lies are so great, we need help to do it. In the first century, a very similar process began. After announcing the new king in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas have to make a swift escape to save their lives. But that does not mean they were put off from continuing their mission. They end up in Berea and start declaring the same message there. And it appears that the Bereans were very wise people. They were not just going to allow strangers to come into their community and make extraordinary announcements without fact-checking them. After all, what could be bigger than announcing the arrival of a new king? To the Jews, this meant a challenge to their whole faith and worldview. To the Greeks, 
It risked riots in the towns just had been seen in other places. So to their great credit, the Bereans humbly and rigorously take Paul and Silas to task. Listen to verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. If only King James had done the same with the evidence Thomas Helwes presented, it would have saved years of misery. But let's look at the positive. The very next verse tells us of the fruit to this thorough investigation. As a result, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Simply put, when the evidence of the new king was presented, it was found to be very convincing by the majority of those who took the time to look. I believe the same is true when we search for God today. We all need to realise what a huge statement it is to declare Jesus as Lord and King. We need to understand why some of our friends and family initially recoil from it. But if we know the evidence for that claim, we will have more confidence in continuing to proclaim it. So for just a few minutes, I want us to look at the arguments Paul uses, for we can gain great strength from them. I'm going to use the words of verses 2 and 3 to do this. Words we get the impression Paul spoke in every synagogue he travelled to, and the words the Bereans analysed so carefully. Those verses say this. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. So what evidence for faith did the Bereans find in this statement? The first thing Paul states is that Jesus is the true king because he fulfills all the scriptures. By the Jews, he could be discovered as the answer to centuries of Old Testament prophecy. Did you know that in Jesus's lifetime, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies given by different voices over a period of 500 years? That is simply a staggering amount, unparalleled by any other figure in any other religion or period of history. On the day Jesus died, he fulfilled 29 major prophecies in a single 24-hour period. This is great evidence for our faith. The most cynical among us could try and say, well, okay, but what if Jesus was just a clever con man? What if he set out to deliberately fulfil these promises so that people would believe he was someone he wasn't? What if he did it just for praise and attention? The problem with that argument is that there are just too many prophecies to take account of. And some of them were about things that Jesus the man had no control over. For example, how do you ensure the place of your birth or the place of your burial? You just can't. It's simply impossible. The great accuracy with which Jesus fulfills those centuries of prophecy right down to the finest details is great evidence for the claim that he is the true king 
of all the world. As Christians, we can all be tempted to doubt our faith at times. We can particularly start to waver when going through times of suffering like this present crisis. In moments of doubt, we are to search the scriptures like the Bereans did, and we will find that there is real, rational evidence for our faith. Evidence that holds up in the storms of life. The second thing that Paul stated as evidence to the Jews was that Jesus was the king who loves his people so much he was prepared to die for them. It says in verse 2 that he reasoned and proved why the Messiah had to suffer. For the Jews this was very important evidence. It had been unthinkable to them that their anointed king who was coming to rescue them would suffer at the hands of the Romans and die the most horrific and shameful death. Elsewhere, Paul describes this matter as the great stumbling block to the Jews. Well, Paul wants them to know that there was great evidence, even within their own scriptures, that this was always going to be the case. In Isaiah 53, we read the prophecy of a servant of God who takes the punishment of God's people, who is gravely injured, but wonderfully, it is by his wounds that we are healed. In Psalm 22, we read of a righteous man suffering for doing the right thing and following God's way, only to be later vindicated. In the Exodus story, we read of the Passover lamb whose blood shed enabled God's people to be set free. In Genesis 22, in the story of Abraham, we read of how God provided a ram just in time to save the life of Isaac. On and on through scripture, there is this narrative of God's people getting themselves in trouble and then God saving them through an act that was costly to himself. Paul is working hard to show how that narrative arc culminates at the cross. Christ had to suffer. It was the only way he could save us from our sins. But this almost apologetic approach is not the only reason Paul makes such a big deal about Christ's suffering. When you announce a new king into a world like the Roman Empire, you make people afraid. What is this king going to be like? Is he going to be even more savage and bloodthirsty than the last emperor? So Paul is also saying this new king that I am announcing to you is not someone to be in terror of. He loved you so much, he gave his life for you. He used all the power at his disposal to forgive and bless, not to tear down and dominate. You can almost hear Paul formulating the words he would later write to the Romans. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This new king is backed by scripture, yes. But this new king has demonstrated his love in a factual way. He's also suffered himself. So is totally relevant to all the trials of your life. This was good news to the people of Thessalonica and Berea 2,000 years ago, just as it is to us suffering this pandemic today.
The final piece of evidence that Paul gives is that Jesus is the true king of the world because he is the only king that has ever come back to life. Those opening verses say, Paul went into the synagogue and reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. The resurrection is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. And as the Bereans examined this claim, they would have found much evidence for it as well. There was the empty tomb and the folded grave clothes, the eyewitness testimonies and the disciples' lives transformed. There was the spread of the church and the personal experience of the risen Lord testified to by the likes of Paul himself. The resurrection is not a fairy tale or a myth. It is fact. It literally happened and it sets Jesus apart as uniquely capable of ruling the world. The resurrection shows us that the cross was effective. It was not the reversal of a defeat, but the proclamation of victory. Sin and evil and death really had been vanquished. All other gods and idols proved false. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is alive and present today. His power is within us, bringing us life. The resurrection tells us that God's kingdom is guaranteed because the risen Jesus sits on the throne of heaven, sovereign over all the world. Nothing can thwart his plans. One day when the time is right, he'll return to bring justice and start the age when pain and suffering will be no more. In our day, lots of politicians and rulers make great promises to us, but none of them can ultimately guarantee they will keep them. But Jesus can, because he's the risen king who reigns over all. This is the good news. This is the ultimate hope that holds us in this crisis. If even death could not stop Jesus, then Caesar could not stop his church, and neither can this virus today. Many people today are losing trust in world leaders. Their antics are being shown up and the severity of the situations they are facing demonstrate their frailty. We're all looking for another source of power and security. As Christians, our job is to announce that there is another king and his name is Jesus. At times, this claim will get us into hot water. Our friends and family will not always react kindly to it, for it makes demands of them just as it does on the rulers of the day. But we are not to give up. Through all things, we are to hold on to our king and keep proclaiming his name. When we are tempted to waver, we are turned to the proof like the Bereans did. Find the rational evidence preserved for us in the scriptures. See how this king proved his love for us on the cross and so can relate to our pains today. Discover that the resurrection is true. Christ has already defeated our greatest enemies and as king he will guide us safely through to his kingdom of healing and peace. I commend the scriptures to us all. By pointing to Jesus they contain all the hope and strength we need when everything else around us is shaking.